All right, we're talking, we're talking about moments. We're talking about that, those, those, those one, you know, fractions of a second or minutes that can happen in our lives that change everything. And, and some of you have been there. It's a telephone call. It's a diagnosis. It's, it's something where your entire life changes. And you know that, you, that you know, from that moment on, you know you can never go back. You know you can, can't be that person ever again. You can't ever be in that situation ever again. That doesn't describe you any longer. From now on, the world doesn't look that way any longer. Things are just so dramatically different. And for some of you, that, that moment, even though it happens, you've been waiting for it for a long, long time. It's a moment that, that you've been anticipating. It's something that's kind of been, you know, broiling in the background and, and simmering in the background. But even when it comes, you know that nothing's ever going to be the same. I don't know if you can ever prepare for those moments. I don't know if you can ever be ready for them. I don't know if you can ever kind of pre-plan. But when those moments happen, your life is never, ever going to be the same. And it becomes an unforgettable encounter. And we're talking about unforgettable encounters that happen in the Bible. You know, these one-offs. We talk about Abraham and Isaac last week, and, and that's not something we're going to see repeated in our lives. You know, these, some of these stories in the Bible aren't necessarily going to be repeated in our lives. And the, and the story that we're looking at this morning isn't going to necessarily be repeated in our lives. But here is what I don't want you to miss. We're not just going to do a history lesson of what happened in the Old Testament and what happened in the New We're going to talk about how these stories reflect the character and the nature of God. That even though the circumstances in our lives may be dramatically different, even though the moment that, that comes upon us is going to be nowhere close to what we see in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they are still reflective of the character and nature of God. That those are things that we can anticipate in our own lives. And that's why sometimes some of these stories resonate with us because we know deep down, I know what so-and-so must have felt. I know, know what so-and-so must have, must have seen happening. And I know that it changed the life. You know, think of the disciples, for instance, right? Good, good Jewish boys who learned so much about God and having a relationship with God and the sacrificial system. But look what difference their lives were after the resurrection of Jesus. And that moment changed everything. And 12 men became 12, you know, uh, human hurricanes about the love of God and, and the difference it made to the world, okay? So we're going to look at a very common story this morning. We're going to look at the life of Moses. And we're going to look at this, this unforgettable encounter that Moses has with a bush, Okay, like the, the reality is, it's, it's, it's a bush. He heard a voice out of a bush. And many people would say, you're crazy. But that set Moses on a path, that set Moses, you know, back to something that he did not want to get involved with. In fact, that's something that may have happened to you. You may have had an unforgettable encounter with God in some time in your life. And God's asked you to go back somewhere you did not want to go. Right? See, you know, Moses, you know, his first 40 years are, are this wonderful, dramatic, kind of princely existence in Egypt, you know, who had probably every privilege you could possibly imagine. And then the next 40 years, he's out in the wilderness of, of the Midian 
wilderness and, and desert, uh, basically out in the woodshed. And he's, he's, he's a murderer that can't go back. He's a prince without a kingdom. And he's been tending sheep for years. A dramatically different lifestyle. And if you had, to, if you had to said to Moses, you know, in year 41 or 42, when he exiles himself into Midian and say, you know what, in another 30 or so years, you're going to be back here. And guess what? You're going to be. What do you think Moses would have said to you? Yeah. 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 If they had MRIs back in that day, right? Yeah. You would have been checked out from top to bottom, right? Just no way. You would have not imagined it for a second, for an absolute second. But one day, out in the wilderness, by the mountain of God, by the way, is how the Jewish people understood that mountain. At Sinai, Moses is tending sheep, doing what he's done for the last 40 years, and he comes across a bush, a bush that's on fire. And the text actually says, wow, that's interesting. (laughs) And Moses looks at the bush and decides to investigate. And as he's getting closer, he hears the voice say, Moses, don't get any closer unless you take off your sandals. Because what you're entering into is holy ground. And Moses complies. And the voice and Moses continue talking. And the voice tells Moses that he hears the cries of his people in bondage in Egypt. Now, I sometimes wonder if Moses didn't say at that moment, well, where were you 40 years ago? Right? Here's Moses who was bothered by the fact that the Egyptian slave drivers treated his people the way they did. And he tried to do something single-handedly about it 40 years earlier. But now God appears. God says to him, guess what? I've heard all of this. And you're going to lead them out. And I'm going to take them and not just free them. I'm going to take them into a land that I'm going to bless them with. A land that is now occupied flowing with milk and honey and all those glorious pictures that we have of a paradise. And it's going to be theirs because I gave it to them. So let's read a little bit of what God says to Moses. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, You are nobody. (laughs) You notice, yeah, you notice the twist here, by the way? I, I will be with you. That's the way we often answer God. When God asks us for something, God, you know, God speaks into our lives or God's prompting us into, into something or God is impressing upon us something that becomes a moral imperative in our lives. I, you know, 
Have you ever had this moment where you feel God is pressing you into something and you're, and you're telling others and they're saying, you've got to be crazy. God's telling you what? You've got no training. You've got no education. You've got no, you know, what do you mean God wants you to feed a thousand people a month on your own? What do you mean God wants you to go to the other side of the world? You know, because isn't that the problem? Because we say, who are you? Instead of saying, wow, who is God? And that's the twist in this story. Moses is all about himself. All about himself. But God says, I am going to be with you. See, that's what happens when we project the future. Or we project our lives. Or when we start saying... I don't know if I can do it. You see, we often project the future based on the limitations of ourselves, not on the power and the majesty of God. But here's Moses almost having this recurring nightmare that he's going to go back to the very place that he escaped from. And he's thinking this big picture stuff. And God's going, I'm going to be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me, God, at this very mountain. Okay? Let's keep going. But Moses continued to protest. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? In other words, if it's not going to be me, then they're going to want to know who you are. Okay? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the all-encompassing one. I am the eternal one. There are so many ways that we could list what this particular word in Hebrew demonstrates about the character and nature of God. That whatever it is, God is. I am. I am. I am. It's the simple verb to be in Hebrew. And it becomes the personal personal name of God. If you remember last week, we talked about how the whole story of Abraham and Isaac actually, you know, kind of, you know, swirled around the personal name of God and the difference when it became evident. So God said to Moses, so God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, which is the I am who I am, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So here it is that Moses gets this intimate name of the creator of the universe, that whatever label we put on God that this is the personal address that the people of Israel have 
of God. And it encompasses everything about Yahweh. The most common Hebrew terminology beyond the name of Yahweh that categorizes the personality and the nature and, and, and you know, the character of God is this word in Hebrew, chesed. If you were to ask a Jewish person, what, give me one word that describes Yahweh, and they would say chesed. Chesed is that word that we have translated in the Old Testament many, many times as love, as faithfulness, as mercy, as compassion. It has so many variations. But in Hebrew, many, many times, it's this one beautiful word. And this is what Moses is hearing echoed in the background, that the personal name of God is a reflection of the love and the compassion and the mercy and the chesed because now he is a savior come to redeem his people. See, what else, what else you're going to learn about this Yahweh God is he's heard the cries of the people. He is going to save them through Moses. And it's after he saves them that he's going to ask them to enter into a covenant with them. When God has proven his ability, when God has proven his power, when God has proven that he can surely save them from the bondage of slavery, then he's going to say, basically, how do you like me now? How do you like me now? So, what lessons can we take away from this? Let me give you a few lessons from this incredible story of Moses. And I think, I think for many of you, you've been in this situation. So let's, let's just give you what I, what I think out of the fire when God calls us. Because many of us have had these situations where God has called us. And in almost every instance, you're going to have this experience. So when God calls us out of the fire, when God calls, here's the first thing. Number one. It's often where and when we least expect it. Isn't that true? Okay? I'm serious. I, you know, if I, if I was Moses, that would have been one of the first things I thought. Forty years later, now you show up. So for 40 years, the people have been languishing. You know, there, there's the negative human response we could have had. And many of us have that negative human response because we don't like God's timing. In fact, we think if God had listened to us, he would have done it sooner. Now, I know why you're not laughing, because you've been there, right? We've all been there. We've all been there. We're not, we're not alone, but we, we want God in our particular timing. And then when God does show up, it's like, but as we learned last week, God often is teaching us a lesson in the midst of that. And that's why God shows up in the last minute. Because often we don't get the lesson that God wants us to learn until the last minute is there. And then it becomes a great impact in our lives. Because if it doesn't come at that moment, we think we did it ourselves. And we say, "Uh, you know, uh, I can manage this just fine without God. Because that's the tendency. That's, That's the thing that happens. But isn't it wonderful when God shows up at this moment and it's like you're on your very last, you know, leg and you're drowning, okay? And, and it, you know, 
And, and in fact, that's the Hebrew word for hope, by the way. One of the semantic ranges of the word is the rope. When you're at the end of your rope, God gives you hope. Okay? That's where hope, you know, resonates the most. Okay? Where we, you know, least expected, you know. Um, Gershom, like Moses' one son that was named, um, the name actually said, uh, meant, I'm an alien or a foreigner here. His very first child, like Moses realized that, you know, he was in this kind of exodus situation. And I don't think he would have ever believed that God was ever going to use him. In fact, we could even argue that Moses would have felt like a real disappointment maybe. Imagine, you know, somebody, one of the other shepherds saying to Moses, hey, um, where, what was your previous life like? Where would you come from? What did you do? Uh, I was a prince of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Yeah. Don't ever go around Moses. He tells stories. Okay? And now a bush is talking to him. Okay? Okay? You know, this is the guy's, this is the guy's life. This is the guy's life. But how many of us, how many of us, God does something in our lives when we least expect it. We feel like it's the wrong place, the wrong opportunity. And yet, in those moments, we have to say, God knows best. God knows best. Here's the second thing that comes out of this story. It often causes a crisis of faith. Right? Moses argued, and by the way, by the way, uh, you know, if you read the remainder of that chapter and into chapter 4 of Exodus, you just got Moses continually throwing roadblocks up to God. Right? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And God's got to answer every one of those fears that Moses is throwing up before God. But many of us, many of us, many of us, when God asks us to do something, it's an absolute crisis of faith. We've been comfortable long enough, and you're asking me to do what? I may, I may, I may have felt like a disappointment. I may have done something wrong back in Egypt. I may this and that. But why, why not send me to Assyria? Why back to Egypt? I tried what I could back there. Many of us hate to go back. And how many of us have been asked by God to go back? It's not always the case, but sometimes it is. And we have this crisis of faith, and we can't believe what we're hearing. Let me tell you something. When you have a crisis of faith and you ignore it, God will not let it go. In fact, you will find more and more and more discomfort in your life until you actually respond and do what he's asking of you. You know, I can tell you from experience that fighting God gets you nowhere. In fact, it'll take you <laughs> to the woodshed and back, right? 
but we have this crisis of faith, and we think God doesn't get it, or God doesn't understand, or God, God's got something wrong in the mix. But that's not always the case. God knows. God knows. God knows. Here's the third thing. It often involves a mission outside of our comfort zone. You know, we talked about comfort, you know, and we talked about, you know, all, all of this stuff. Um, there are sometimes you are just left holding the entire thing in your own hands, and all you have is God. And God is asking you to do something that is so far beyond your imagination, and you don't know what to do. Been there. Been there. See, God, I don't know, I don't know why God struggles to let us just be comfortable, but that's just a real problem for God in many ways, just to leave us comfortable, Right? God wants to grow us. God wants to move us. God wants, you know. But here is God. You know, you think about it. Moses was so distressed in the, in, in, you know, in this 40 years in Egypt, and he really didn't like what he saw. But here is God. After all these years of leaving Moses kind of sedate in the wilderness and that, moving in Moses' life and actually giving him what he wanted in the first place. But to do it in a way that Moses would have never dreamed. Moses was trying to do it one at a time. But here is God saying, you know what? I'm taking the whole group with me. And you're going to lead them out. You know, sometimes God calls us into the most fearful endeavors. And some of the most impossible contexts. And asks us just to be his representative in that moment. Because again, if you think it's all about you and your ability and your strength and your power, you're missing what God is doing. It's absolutely about God working in you something immeasurably more than you could ever hope and imagine and to bring his glory to bear in a situation, in a context that you could never do by yourself. And anytime you think it's all about you, that's when the whole thing begins to crumble. Here's the last thing. It's always related to God's character and to God's nature. I, I love it. I just, I, I love this story um, because we often focus on just the burning bush. But as you get into chapter 4, Moses, Moses continues to argue because Moses absolutely is, is afraid of what it is that it's going to demand of him. Okay? And I love this one line in the beginning of chapter 4 where Moses is continuing to protest and God says, uh, what's, what's in your hand? And Moses goes, it's just a shepherd's staff. Like, that's all it is. And anybody remember what God says to Moses at that point? Throw it on the ground. Right? And he picks it back up again. Okay? And it's a staff again. All right? Now, I don't know about you. I ain't going to ask any more questions. 
Seriously, I ain't going to, you know, if you can do that, I'm with you, okay? Moses has to ask another three times. In fact, the second time, God said, put your hand inside your cloak, pull it out, and his hand's diseased, right? And then put it back, and it's healed, right? Moses protested a number of times, but it's all about the character and nature of God. God had to prove to Moses that he, he, he was going to be with Moses. And it was not, and it's almost as if it wasn't until Moses, you know, says, I'm not going to win no matter what I do. And says, I'm going. I'm going. Here's the next frame I want to just show you for a minute. That's what's called the tetragrammaton. That's the Hebrew word for Yahweh. That's what it looks like in Hebrew. In, in the very, in the writing of Hebrew, there's no vowels attached to that particular word. Okay? Um, vowels didn't get attached to Hebrew till a long time after the fact. Hebrew is written with consonants only. It wasn't until the Masoretes put vowels to Hebrew words. But even to this day, many of, of, of the Hebrew writings do not have vowels. Okay? So you read it without vowels. This, when they attach vowels to it, they attach the vowels of Lord to it in, 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 in modern times. So the word that actually comes out when you have the consonants of Yahweh and the vowels of Lord is the word Jehovah. Okay? Technically, the word Jehovah in the Bible does not exist because it's the consonants of Yahweh and the vowels of Lord. And that's what's called the Tetragrammaton. It, it is the personal personal name of God. Now, we've, we've run out of time, but I want to just say this. There's something happening in your life right now that God is calling you to or God is asking of you or you believe that God has forgotten about you. Or has you in a place where you're very, very scared? And the one comment that comes out of this entire passage, and many of us are like Moses, we've got our own series of arguments and reasons why we shouldn't or couldn't or wouldn't. or. But what I want you to hear today is that promise that God gave to Moses, that I, I, am with you. That Yahweh, the self-existent one, the one that's outside of time, the one that knows the beginning from the end, the one that holds the future in the palm of his hand, the one that holds every person that you love in the palm of his hand is with you. It may not always feel that way. It may not always work out the way you intend. But please, please, please never forget that the Lord is always, 
always with you. And many times in your life, that's the only thing that you can hold on to. You may not understand why, but you can certainly know that God is with you. And that's my hope for you this week, is that, you know, there are so many that kind of look at tomorrow and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know how it's going to happen at the church. I don't know what's going to happen at home. I don't know what's going to happen. You know what? God is with us. He always has been, always will be, and I'm naive enough to believe him. Amen? Let's be naive together. Okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the life of Moses and the promise that we can at least know that God is with us. There is so much that this world throws at us in terms of doubt, in terms of proof, in terms of, you know, whatever. And even our own life experience can lead us to a place where we're wondering if you would ever use us again or ever fulfill a dream in our own lives or or anything like that. But thank you, Lord, that you recall us and you work in our lives. We're not always listening. We're not always hearing. We're not always grasping. But I pray today, Lord, that we would have sensitive ears to your spirit, that you would encourage someone here today, that you would strengthen their walk, and you would give them greater confidence that you are with them. May we look at the future, may we look at even tomorrow with new eyes, because, Lord, you are already there. So we thank you for the hope that we have for the promises that we have and the blessings that are yet to be realized. In Jesus' name, amen.